Hey everybody, this is Liz Brunig. Welcome back to our low effort, low quality podcast. This is my husband, Matt. Hi everyone. We've got a big week of hot topics this week. It was a very hot week. Uh, yes, it was. Well, it was, it was kind of cool, actually. Oh, was it? But I mean, you know, in, um, in topic-wise, not weather-wise. Oh. Uh, I, I also have a cold, uh, so that my voice, uh, you know. Elizabeth Warren's DNA test came out this week. Yes. What do you think about that? Oh, uh, that was a disaster. That was a huge disaster. That was disaster. a complete disaster. One of the ways you know it's a disaster, actually, is that some of the... I like Warren. I don't have any issue with her, but there are some people who are Warren, Elizabeth Warren super fans. Yeah, definitely. And they were on Twitter saying things like, uh, while everyone is talking about this, did you know that? And then they would have something that Warren yeah. had done that was good. And you're like, mm, that's not a good, that's yeah. kind of a concession that uh, you, you don't find what happened very defensible. So so for those who are not in the know, who need a recap of, uh, of what's going on with Elizabeth Warren, Elizabeth Warren's senator from Massachusetts, originally from Oklahoma. Uh, and throughout the 90s, uh, which is not the beginning of her career, interestingly enough, which is sort of the, the middle of the beginning of her career, if you want to look at it in phases like that, uh, or even her mid-career, I think it would be fair to say. Uh, she would describe herself on personnel forms at the university she was teaching law at as Native American. Uh, and she was described in profiles as a woman of color. Yeah, in a law review article yeah, that was and, trying uh, to survey like, are there women of color professors at law schools? And she was... She was taken as an example of that. Yeah. And uh, she also was described as a minority. So basically, these universities where she was working, I believe she worked at Penn and then she worked at Harvard, uh, where she would describe herself, in each case, not right at the beginning of her career, not at her hiring, uh, but a couple of years into her career, um, she would begin describing herself on these personnel forums as Native American, uh, and and then she would be taken as proof when these universities did their uh, minority diversity reviews uh, that they had women of color on their staffs. Yes, it it appears though she has never said this publicly. In part, when you trace the chronology of uh, her being listed as white and then later being listed as Native American, that. It part of what might be going on here is that the institutions themselves uh, pressured her to be Native American, you know, for the purpose of being able to hit, you know, diversity yeah, counts. Yeah, saying and that, sort that of they thing. didn't just have white people on staff. I mean, that's certainly possible because it it is not the case, and this is what had been alleged or implied by Donald Trump and by Scott Brown and other Republicans. It had been implied that she had said she was a Native American during the hiring process uh, to get a leg up over other white candidates. That There's no proof of that. That doesn't look like it actually happened. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. But it looks like once she was already on staff... Uh, I mean, you have to have some explanation for why someone uh, changes their... She at their least permitted it. She at least permitted it. Had it had to have at least... Like, no one sat there and just put it in a record. Right. And there's um, no way she wasn't aware of it. Yeah. Uh, which is what she says. Uh, and I find I'm somewhat skeptical of the fact that the idea that she wasn't had no idea that Harvard was uh, advertising well, and her. she was 
heritage. She did a, a recipe in a Native American cookbook. She did. So, I mean, there's How no question count. that she was identifying like this in one form or another for various reasons. Um, unclear whether that gave her a quote unquote leg up, but like that was the, that's the underlying issue, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, the Republicans have been taking advantage of this for a while, either to just make fun of of her yeah, or her Pocahontas basically, yeah, to say that she's, uh, you know, committed affirmative action fraud. Right, which doesn't appear to be right, to be fair. Uh, so instead of, uh, it seemed like the smartest thing to do would be to say, look, my family, we had a lot of stories about our Native American heritage, like a lot of families, uh, you know, that have legends. My family says that we're related to Bram Stoker. Okay. You know, the guy my who... My family doesn't have any legends like this. Well, it's not surprising. But uh, but the, my family said, you know, my, my maiden name was Stoker. And they all said, oh, we're related to Bram Stoker. We're related to Bram Stoker. Like, well, what, what's the proof of that? They're like, well, our name is Stoker. Like, well, well, there you go. Just, what else do you want? There can't just be one. And and then we when, uh, when I've been to uh, the Netherlands... Sometimes I'll see my last name on credit cards and be like, oh, Stoker, that's Dutch. And I'll be like, I have no fucking clue what it is. I'm American. Uh, it's just a name. And uh, and I think that eventually my parents uh, did some Ancestry.com, 23andMe stuff, and, and it was completely bogus. It's just, it's just a common-ish name. Uh, so anyway, all families have these have these stories uh, and, and, and she should have just said, look, I was very enthusiastic about my family's stories, uh, as I, especially, you know, as I moved into the elite ranks of, uh, people who teach at these Ivy League law schools, I started to feel even stronger about, uh, you know, embracing my background, who I really was and having a place in the world. And, and it turned out the stories were maybe not as accurate as I thought. Uh, and so, you know, there's that. And, uh, I apologize instead she did she did the classic Twitter double down. Yeah, yeah. I mean I think yeah, I mean a very clean story would be, hey, look, my, my family told me this. I was in Oklahoma. Seemed right. Oklahoma's slogan is called Native America or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. Oh, like, God, it's that's a right. very big part of Oklahoma because yep. that's where a lot of the reservations were. It's very easy. Yeah. But like you said, instead <laughs> she decided to use race science to prove that she actually is Native American. She was like, uh, joke's on you. It turns out that while I did not actually have any real basis for being Native American, except, you know, weird stories that people sort of threw out, uh, I actually was right. You know, sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you, 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 you make a lie, you know, or you go along with it. And it turns out actually to be true. And uh, she's like, look, I'm, I'm 164th to 1,124th. Mm, it's always good. Base two. Base two. Uh, always a good sign. And then she basically, she did the, she made a very expensive, nice video uh, and then had an analyst. Oh, yes. The, the video is key here because 
is not just like, oh, well, you know, they asked me to do a DNA test, so I did. And then yeah. you just kind of throw it out. Yeah. It was like part of a massive, like... There was a rollout. It was a huge rollout. That probably, I mean, I'd love to see the budget for this thing, like, to, you know, yeah. like, this is going to be a big thing. We've got a video, we put it on the website, we've done all this press. They had, uh, like, it was on the front page, I think, of the Boston Globe. Yeah. Like, they had worked on that. So they're like, this is going to be a big, important thing. And, uh, you know. And then, so, folks... You never post the 23andMe results online. No. First off, 23andMe is fake, like we just dis- like we discussed well, that's earlier. That's definitely Matt's theory. And it's a CIA op. Yeah. One. PSYOP, big time. And No, well, not a PSYOP. Well, uh, well, well kind of, uh, you know, because it's it, making you believe things that aren't true. Okay, sure, sure, okay. Using you a recovered. wide definition. Recovered. You recovered. No, I didn't. Um, I didn't no, anyway. And they have like, <laughs> they have like 20 Native American genomes in their whole system and they're ridiculous they're they're based on stories in part masha gessen did a really great takedown well they have to be they have to be because how do you (laughs) oh we got the real native american genome what is the real one how would you know you there's a chicken and egg issue here so there's a real dubiousness (laughs) even to the indicator but you never post the 23 i mean this is just this is it I don't even know what to say. I mean, she's old people are really into that stuff though. I feel like this is the thing. And I feel like there was some disconnect a little bit on some of the online reaction because they don't realize that I, I don't know, at least among sort of the young, uh, uh, obnoxious left, uh, (laughs) including myself, the 23 and me is a, is a bit of a, uh, a humorous uh, thing. Right, right, right. The people posting that they're, you know, 15% Italian or whatever. Everyone just thinks that's hilarious. Especially as an entry into an argument. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and part of the reason is just it's regular. It's funny. And then part of the reason is because, uh, and I think the young left is especially sensitive to this, race is not uh, just a matter of genetics, right? It's a matter of how you engage in the world, society, community, language, culture. Well, and putting it in genetics just reifies the whole exactly. thing. Where I mean, one of the interesting things about this whole area that I, I kind of wish it had gone off to though. I don't know how on earth it could have gone there like for a politician to instigate this, but like it's not just, you know, weirdos trying to prove they're native American that use these kinds of, uh, you know, like fractional yeah, things. Yeah. It's Indian tribes themselves. Yeah. Use this. They have blood quantums where if you're one sixteenth of, you know this or that you're eligible for a tribe or maybe one half or one eighth depending on the tribe and i always thought you know because i was in oklahoma and and this was like aware i was aware of this I, i i lived in oklahoma for four years and it was a thing that kind of circulated around there like these blood quantum things yeah um is this is a perfect example not unlike old like supreme court cases where you get to actually see that race doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because it's race can work so long as you're allowed to kind of talk about it in generalities. But when you're actually asked to put pen to pencil and sort people, yeah, you end up doing really nutty things. Like I remember one of the Supreme court cases I read uh, from a while ago, I, I think it was from like 1907 or something like that. Yeah. There was a, there was a, I think it was a Japanese person was trying to say that they were white. Yeah. And they were like, well, look, I'm, I mean, I'm white. Like the law just said white. Yeah. Um, and they're like, I'm white, aren't I? And like, like my skin is fair. It's fairer than 
other white people. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah. the court was like, uh. <laughs> and then like the tribes, it's the same thing. It's like, well, you gotta be one eighth, I guess. That's that's. I mean, enough. they're doing their, but but anyway, this inspired a lot of criticism from Native Americans who were like, being one sixty fourth, this or that. Well, I think they're quite annoyed by the American, yeah. the the non-native tradition among a lot of white people to yeah. di- distantly suggest there's some fractional right. Indian for and some And this reason. is something that I don't think necessarily everyone from every region of every America knows about. But being from Texas and having lived in Georgia a little bit as a kid, it is so common to find just white people, just just absolute white people who are like, you know... uh, my uh, my great great grandmother was a red blooded American, Native American. True story. True story. I'm half Apache. It's true. I'm, uh, I'm yeah. half Crow. Then I'm like, no, you're not. You're just a white person. Come on, knock it off. Well, it's this, based on nothing. Yeah. And then it's even if it nothing. were true, you have no connection to any cultural linguistic. You speak the language. Uh, you're not engaged things. in the community. <laughs> you have no kinship ties. Well, what is it that you're claiming exactly? You're, you're, you live like any other white person, and your culture is that of white America, and you speak like a white American. You're, you don't put in any effort to be a part of these communities. Uh, it just becomes you're not like seen. You're not assigned by society into that. Right, group right. You don't have to deal with the prejudices, characteristics you know, or that whatever. are that are leveled against Native Americans who visibly present as people of color and and so on. And and so that's you know I don't know. It's a very common thing, especially in that part of the world. And I think that a lot of people eventually are like, yeah, bullshit. I'm just white. I know it. This is apocryphal. Anyway. Uh, I think the moral of this story is, you know, it's something that could have happened to a lot of people, kind of buying into the family lore, the submission of personnel forms <laughs> reflecting that is maybe a little bit harder to yeah. account for. But the correct thing to do would have just been to say, you know, it wasn't malicious. Well, yes. The lesson is don't double down on this yeah. and don't yeah. play Trump's game. Don't That's play Trump's bizarre. game. Well, at some point pointed out this epic video that she shot starts out with Trump talking. And it's like, yeah. oh my God, did we not learn anything from the 2016 election where Clinton ran ads that were just, that was just Trump talking? You, you <laughs> cannot like, no. beat Trump at Trump's game. Don't let him start your ad. And then like what I'm doing is reactive to Trump. It's like, yeah. you, you want to do your own thing and you're never going to beat Trump because Trump is like the first online president who's a poster. And if you've yeah. ever been on Twitter, you know <laughs> that like, it doesn't matter. You can't beat someone who yeah. is just out to fuck with you. And I, I have to suspect this was an effort to rip the bandaid off and not have it come up mid campaign. Yes, that is a classic. And, and uh, that is a classic, especially Clinton strategy. Um, remember, Get out ahead of it. Yeah. yeah it's like, oh, well, I want to run for president. So let me dump all this negative stuff like a year before the campaign starts because I'll oppo dump myself because then it'll be old news when it gets brought up later. The problem with that theory, because I, I held that theory too, and maybe that's partially what's going on. The problem though, is that it's not tr- it's not being treated as a negative <laughs> like like when when Clinton released some stuff about like email servers or whatever like a year before the campaign started yeah it was like you know well we released this on a Friday and pump it out and it's just like here's a little press report and that's that you know yeah there was no epic video about it you know yeah um, so that suggests something else was going on or maybe there's a hybrid uh, I, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, and there was certainly an effort to turn it on Trump and be like, you bet me that I had not a drop of Native American blood. Uh, you bet me a million dollars. Now it appears that I do. Uh, where's my million dollars? But it's like, dude, do you really want to? Well, she wanted to, to have it donated to charity. I, I know, but like, do you really want to prosecute that case in public? What are <laughs> and we then, doing? And then, and then she was like, here's my 23 and me. Where are your tax returns? We're doing taxes again. That's what that's what they did. So I just think the whole thing was um, maybe a little bit ill-advised. Ill ill-advised. Um, you yeah. know, you should. Yeah, whoever told you to do that, <laughs> just you know, take their advice a little less seriously going forward. I would say sometimes um, the best thing to do is not to double down, just to say like, yeah, that was then, this is now. Uh, and I, uh, I am sorry that I said that, and. Uh, and and again, I think she should be seen. It's not Trump she owes the apology to, uh, and or Scott Brown or any other doofus who's called her Pocahontas. It's it's the Native American tribe she's associated herself with, you know, perhaps erroneously. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, went in a fight with a Twitter troll. Uh, you got to bend like a reed in the wind, man. You can't. Uh, well, you don't. I mean, yeah. so you you either just troll back. Because this is a situation I'm in now where yeah. I can't really do that as much anymore because people view it as like abusive or rude because I'm like a big account. Yeah. So it's like so the you either can troll back or you can't for some reason. Maybe you don't have the ability or maybe it would be, you know, people would get mad at you or whatever. Yeah. In which case you can't funny, do yeah. anything and you just got to be happy with your own internal notion of whether you're right or wrong and you know do your thing as opposed to you know look to external validation getting the pr getting trump to validate you is never going to happen it's never going to happen um, i mean once she <laughs> he did the classic twitter troll thing of when she released the results he was like who gives a shit who cares was his first reaction Absolutely. from the first person who asked it uh and then and then he went on and on and so you know I mean, I don't know. It's it's going to be a weird thing because it's obviously going to come up. Yeah. Like over and over and over again. Yeah. And I don't know what you do about it, except, you know, like we said, ignore it and put forward your own thing. Yeah. You just got to focus on your own story and uh, and don't let Trump write your story for you. So uh, that was that. And uh, in other news this week, uh, our old uh, old enemy, uh, Gavin McInnes, the proudest boy, uh, he, uh, he, had, he got into a skirmish with his uh, lads up in uh, New York, I believe. The dude's from Brooklyn. Well, and let's be clear, he did not get into a skirmish because... He like hopped into a car and sped away and then some <laughs> other maybe perhaps even prouder boys. He's, yes, he, it's funny because there was a piece about him in the New York Times and then there was another piece in some other random website that was basically just quoting stuff that he does on his show. Like there are some brave people who actually sat through his <laughs> hours and hours of YouTube broadcasting where he, he likes to talk a big game and that yeah. sort of thing. But like, of course, he never he never actually does anything. It's very much a paper tiger uh you know, version of masculinity. I would like prefer him not to do anything, but, but I, I just, when are we going to stop with these profiles that are like, uh, the new right wingers wear suits, uh, have interesting haircuts and, uh, try to sound smart. 
more on that at 10. It's like, yeah, that's a fucking fascist. That's what they <laughs> traditionally do. Yes. They, uh, it's weird, they, though, because... They're big into order, neatness, cleanliness, and being you, the cream of the crop in society. You've made this point before, and, and maybe it's always been affected, but it, it is so obviously affected in his case that it feels weird. Like, yeah. He, nothing about when you look at him or Richard Spencer for that matter. And you're like, Oh, that's natural. They just naturally dress. Instead they're, they're playing like fascism dress up. Yeah. And like it's, like, it's, it's, you know what I mean? It doesn't feel normal. Like, no, yeah, like they, Oh, that's they just how take they are. Like a propaganda printout of like a Aryan family uh, to the barber. And they're like, can you do this to my hair? Yeah. I don't, you know, cause like a good counter example is David Duke. David That's Duke, just he's just a normal... Straight up racist. <laughs> <Yeah, just laughs> like, all right, he's just doing his thing, you know? Got normal man hair. Yeah, and you don't feel like any of it is put on or whatever, and these guys yeah. just seem like, almost like they're grifters. But, I mean, I, I, I think that they believe it to some degree, but it, there's nothing natural about yeah. their fascistic style. What's interesting about a lot of these guys, and I think deserves uh, some examination by someone who gives a shit, which is not me, is uh, they all seem to have like memed themselves into fascism. Like they started out in 2011, 2010 as like irony posters on forums who were like, uh, you know, someone would post a Nicki Minaj video and they'd be like, LOL, you know, kill all the undesirables, OMG, LMFAO. And then at some point they were like, hi, actually, that is what I think. And like they just like bit the bullet at some yeah. point, or like got radicalized well, by memes. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's right. Well, I think so. They they want to trigger the libs first yeah, and foremost. Badly desire to trigger, the and then libs. they're in a social group, and it kind of evolves that way. I mean, I've seen similar things happen on the left. And they not, get polarized not, in their in groups called group yeah. polarization. Well, however the group goes, that's where they go, right? So it's like if the group is now into this, now they're yeah. into this, and you see this. It's not a unique to them but like at some point i think gavin mechanicus was a libertarian like you start out like an edgy libertarian who's like i like free speech for example kill all the unfit haha and then at some point you're like actually now i'm some kind of fascist libertarian well, he was like yeah he was like an edgy vice type yeah. guy so it was yeah it was you know that sort of stuff like counterculture or whatever yeah. almost like you know, like South Park slash <laughs> South Park fascism. Um, yeah. You know, let's do like weird drug things. You know, it's like it was in that mix. It's then, all an effort, uh, and I, you know, perhaps a doomed effort. I don't know to to make make the right cool. Yes, no, he, he yes, his that is, is exactly that. He, it that's is an story, yeah. yeah, he is affecting that to try to like be cool and like let's dress up and let's do this like like so and that's why it feels yeah. weird because you know like someone's like yeah. you can't try to be cool you just have to be cool i guess or at least you have to make it not seem like you're trying it's an effort um, to like you know hey young guys right that's the thing being on the right doesn't mean being a stuffy dork like your republican granddad right it can also mean uh being a stuffy dork like me <laughs> um but like you know being edgy being countercultural, being offensive being dangerous yes that's that's, yeah. that's it it's a sales pitch it's a yeah, sales yeah, pitch. yeah 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 it's advertising that was the yeah. other thing he did outside of being a political person or whatever is he was an advertising guy he worked yeah. in like making ads and stuff so he's it's just the same shtick i i saw a uh, a graphic online that was associated with the proud boys uh 
and it was like, uh, you know, remember what the left stole from you. And it was like a picture of a 1950s family sitting in church. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you guys are porn watching uh, dudes who would find the stable, calm, inoffensive family company man of the 50s to be a cuck. Right. You guys, that's like specifically the kind of people that you harangue as being lame and dumb now. Uh, you, you're not trying to be that you're, you're not even close to that. You're like fighting with Antifa in the streets, uh, because it's badass. Right. Like there's, there's nothing. <laughs> what do you mean? Stole from you. They, they didn't steal that from you. You don't want it. Uh, you don't want to get married at 20 and have several children and, and, uh, work, uh, quietly and be sort of a reliable, dependable family man. I mean, they're probably poisoned by madmen. And are like that's true. No, that's Don part Draper of it. fucks so many chicks. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it was like. Right. Um, but again, there's there's not even a clarity on what is desired. Uh, and and when I look at what they say they want, it's actually nothing like them, and it's totally not consonant uh, with the with the edgy right uh, self story. Uh, so so I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, I wish people would stop profiling these dudes and being like right wingers in three piece suits. What is that all about? <laughs> like, that's pretty typical, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's hard to figure out what the sign. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it get, ends up being quite inflated. Yeah. Um, just just leave the aesthetics alone. The aesthetics are definitely part of the thing. It's historically attached to that brand of right wingism. But if you're gonna sit them down and ask them anything, it's what do you want? What do you want? <laughs> well, they have cultural grievances. Well, so list them. What do you want? What should right. the world look like? And then you can publish in the New York Times that what they want is like, I want a hot wife who's slutty, but only with me. Uh, and also to have sex with uh, Christina Hendrickson at work. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Great take. Well, yeah, that's reactionary uh, that is, politics. That's, that's is that they don't have, uh, they don't have wants. They just hate you know right right right. a lot exactly. of it is just There's like just oh, i just don't like the libs basically yeah. i hate that everyone is ugly now unlike in mad men when everyone was extremely hot and it's a tv show so yeah but whatever yeah but like you were saying i i had a we had a run-in i guess uh five years ago we did early career run-in with gavin mcginnis which was i don't know uh how to measure his level of significance now or not i mean on some level he was in a more like you know meaningful job like uh institution wise and now he's relegated to youtube barking yeah um but on the other hand i don't know maybe now he has a bigger audience than he used to have it's hard to say hard to say um but yeah, but he 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 was doing uh, something about women need to not work or whatever. He's like right? women only work because they are pressured to be masculine by the feminists. Yes, well, and 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 uh, yeah, it was it, yeah it, it, uh, a matter of choice and yeah. and. This is an interesting, I, I, I wrote a piece at Demos and then we wrote a piece together at Salon afterwards. Yeah. Uh, Back in the day. Showing that, well, you know, my, my, my angle on this and maybe our collective angle on this, I don't, I don't remember entirely, um, was, you know, when people talk about women choosing to work or not, they are replicating this tendency we have in our society as a whole to focus on basically upper class women 
Right. That that that's a thing that happens in a lot of discourse. It's it's you know, um, even in in discourse about uh, women joining the workforce. Yeah, exactly. With like, oh, this was this great victory. Women joined the workforce in the 1970s and afterwards or whatever. Right. And it's like, well, I mean, certain kinds of women joined the workforce, but like, obviously, <laughs> a large swath of women were always working. Uh, right, exactly. Like, like, you know, your nannies, your, you know, it's like, if you think about it, what you mean is uh, upper middle class women. <laughs> Yes. join the workforce um but that still got this grip both on his mind and on uh, and on the mind implicitly of a lot of even liberal thinkers yeah, yeah um where it's like yeah they're thinking about people who really do have a choice and like ooh, i'm exercising a choice but realistically most women work because if or i shouldn't say not 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 that they work because they would be poor otherwise but regardless they have to work right like and if you're going to talk about women working you you can't only focus on upper class right women. The, the critique is like uh women go to work because they want to be uh, a hardcore chick in the boardroom and uh and dominate all their male colleagues and it's like i do not think that is what the cashier at arby's is all about no <laughs> no <laughs> like, and, and poor women have been working uh, forever, right? There forever. was never a period when poor women didn't work. Sure. Right? They were never able to be sort of uh, uh, simply housewives and rely on their husband's income. That's what it is to be poor, is to, is to be financially stretched. So you look back even, you know, in American history in the, in the uh, halcyon days of the mid-century and you see that poor women were already working. Of course they were. They were domestic help. Uh, they did all kinds of jobs yeah. that were restricted uh, for what, you know, a lot of working class girls became nurses uh, and so forth. Pink collar, you know, uh, pink collar teaching jobs, teaching. And so on. And uh, if you were a well-to-do society lady, of course you didn't do those things. Yes, uh, and you had a... You got a finishing school. You had a lower class woman who right, did those things right, for you. Right, exactly. You didn't so clean like your own house either. <laughs> yeah, um, like, so, so this has always been the case. Uh, and and these uh, the, the reactionary impulse is just to focus on the... And this is a good tell for... for you know, one confusion about fascism, I think, that's come out uh, since Trump won because the word got thrown al around a lot is there's been a lot of conflation of fascism with like um, working class right populism. But the bulwark of fascism is always the middle class. It, that's just always what it is, right? I mean, you look historically at fascist movements in Italy, Germany, on Latin America, and it's the middle class that uh -huh. tends to be the real beating heart, energetic members, ideological producers of fascism. Mm -hmm. And in this case, when you hear a sort of uh, outspoken, you know, pseudo-fascist or having some fascist tendency, uh, right-leaning reactionary folks in the media, when they critique society, they're talking about middle-class, upper-middle-class women because those are their peers because that's who they are. Yes, that's that's who they who they. <laughs> they're middle-class men. They're no, not like... Uh, that's who they're trying to have sex with, basically. Right, right. <laughs> they're like, I'm annoyed that I can't get a chick uh, because they're busy with work or school. Where's my domestic wife? Right, and right. It's like, well... That's what they stole <laughs> but, from But us. it's only the people they, they want to marry. This is a thing that... Well, not to go too far afield, yeah. but, you know... Um, I, in, on the flip side, you have a lot of... Um, 
social conservatives, I guess, who will say things like, well, why don't uh, poor women marry more, right? Because the marriage rates are low. And I always say, (laughs) part of my response is to say, well, why don't you marry a poor woman? Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I think I think if uh, for a lot of uh, poor women, if uh, someone uh, you know, <laughs> if, if, if you someone of your stature came around, you probably could find a poor woman who would love to marry you. Right. Um, if you're one of the guys who's writing books about the breakdown of uh, society, uh, and uh, you're you know a fellow AEI or or uh, heritage. I'm sure there are many, many women who are working fast food jobs or doing menial labor <laughs> or in retail <laughs> who would uh, who would be uh, consider themselves fortunate to uh, to hook up with your income. Right. Um, and the point there being not like, I don't know, that can come off very mean in some ways, but it's just to say like... The point is they're not actually talking about lower class yeah, women. They're, they're talking saying, why don't poor women marry poor men i don't want to marry them personally or otherwise even have any social engagement with them um but if they would do that then maybe my tax bill would go down that sure would be swell yeah then i wouldn't have to be uh then i wouldn't have to be paying anything uh for programs that support mothers who are poor uh which i'm not even sure is the case because (laughs) there are a lot of families uh who you know are uh, married families who are impoverished who who need the support of welfare programs well that's the largest group yeah of course um numerically um so but yeah um, sexual, that, that sexual politics are the worst possible i, I hate this shit it's all awful it's, it's all about games. like it's all about people's like dark impulses and like trying to hide them trying to translate them into yeah. reasonable policy discourse i mean gavin does the, uh uh you know uh you know, very does little the, does the least of it but, <laughs> yeah. but even there you know there's an implicit translation of he's saying why doesn't upper class why don't upper class women become my you know domestic wife or whatever he's like i don't want to um, argue with upper class women i want them to immediately uh submit right. to me and recognize that i'm uh i'm the one who needs to have the final word on every discussion because i'm a man and it's like okay that's your desire um I don't really want to talk about that. There's just something weird and kind of personal about it that uh, strikes me as bizarre. I'm like, well, you know, there are clubs you can go to where people are into that. I um, I don't really have any interest in uh, engaging with you on it. Um, but that's that's sexual politics, or, or you know, especially when they get translated into welfare politics, just uh, really, really tough. Speaking of welfare politics, Kamala Harris. Yeah, should we read an ad? Yeah, read an ad. Okay, because we're transitioning. Yeah, before we go to our uh, what we call the C segment uh, for yeah. people in the biz. I call it the B block. Uh, well, but this is, we actually just did two things. So this yeah, is the C block. But, but I call A1 and A2. Oh, and okay. And then the so B block. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you it's know, my own taxonomy. But different, you know, different producers do this different ways. Two producers on this show. Uh so anyway, before we hit that transition, we're gonna we're gonna go to Matt with an uh, advertisement from one of our uh, Patreon supporters. This episode is brought to you by the Good Ideas Party. Are you tired of having to constantly choose the lesser of two evils? Do you wish that there could be an option that you could feel unabashedly supportive of, even in front of those nihilistic Twitter assholes? Then come on over to the GIP. <laughs> we make evidence-based policy decisions by implementing a very simple heuristic: Does this idea suck or not? If the idea sucks, we pass. If it's good, <laughs> we implement. That's the guarantee. So if you're tired of shit policy, <laughs> head on over to the GIP. <laughs> this ad financed by Lincoln Chafee 2020. 
Thank you very much. I, I didn't know he's running again. Apparently. Apparently he's on the Patreon. And uh, and he's giving us uh, five bun- bucks a month or so to, to do ads for him. Uh, so we'll look forward to if that. If you want an ad, join the Patreon yep. and put it in. We have a thread for fake ads. Um, and you can put you can you can put it in there. Apparently, you can even make Matt sing. You know, I'll do anything for money. Oh, that's sad and true. That's absolutely, <laughs> absolutely no, it's true. It's not true. It's that's not no, true. it's pretty close to true. Uh, so, uh, speaking speaking of welfare of politics, good idea policy. Oh no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't oh, do the lead in. You don't want to connect the two. Speaking somewhat of bad idea policies. Uh, Kamala Harris is clearly running in 2020. Uh, yes. And will probably do pretty well for herself, I assume, in the primaries. Uh, who knows? There's so many running. That's true. I don't oh know. I'm actually, I have out? a historically bad track record about well, this. Well, there's stuff, just uh, so. 30 people running. I mean, who who the hell knows how that's going to play out? It's impossible. Yeah. It's hard to know. Matt's running. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm starting an exploratory committee. Uh, so we'll have to see what the exploratory committee finds in its exploration. There are probably going to be a lot of tweets that you have to, you're going to have to do like 45 Elizabeth Warren ads where you're like, in this tweet, I didn't mean to imply that everyone who voted for this policy was a dumbass. Well, my tweets are deleted, so. Yeah, but they, you know, they got their ways. I should run. You know what? I, I, I bet know. if I really pushed it, if I really pushed it and I, I went through the oh, FEC God. hoops and whatever, I could get into the first Democratic debate. You think you could pull that off? Yeah, the first one. Then none other after that, probably. Yeah, I would almost <laughs> guarantee you would get a second chance to, to do that. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't want to be a campaign widow, just, you know, what they call the wives. Well, well I don't think the campaign would last that long. It oh really God, would be no, a that's just a fact. Right it there. really would just be a, a, a ploy for the first debate to get in there. Make my mm. spiel, you know, and get on and get on, get on. And then I would retire and throw my weight behind another candidate, oh, whoever would have me at that point. I think, yeah, you would do your endorsement and then they would have to disown you. They, they would. Uh, like, no, yeah. no, I don't No, I don't endorse the whatever he did that caused him to be arrested on the debate stage. <laughs> terrible, 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 terrible. I mean, Michael Avenatti is going to be in the first debate <gasps> probably. So if he can get in, why can't I? Good you know, God. I, I, people in the media, they know who I am to some degree. So what a train wreck. Jake Tapper certainly does. Boom. Oh, my God. He does. Now. Boom. Yeah. Sorry, Jake. Uh, Kamala Harris came out with uh, a plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you? Uh, it's a tax credit specifically that we're talking about today. Yes. Why don't you uh, brief the listeners? Well, so I'm a, ta- I'm, I'm a tax credit connoisseur. That's true. Uh, That's true. I love tax credits. I love... Tax credits are to Matt what craft beers are uh, to, to most of the lads his age. Everything welfare state and welfare state adjacent, I just love it. Yeah. It's there, you know, I mean, not, not that it's all good, but I just, it's fascinating. Um, she puts out a new credit called the Lyft Credit. L-Y-F-T. Mm, there's some sort of acronym there. I yeah. think Lo- livable incomes oh, for families today I. or something. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know uh, <laughs> how to discuss this perfectly well verbally, but I'll do my best. So the way the lift credit works is, you know, uh, for every dollar you earn, it's going to match you. All right. Dollar for dollar. Until you get up to 3000 
if you're single or 6,000 if you are uh, married. Yeah. Right. So you imagine uh, if you may, if you earned $1,500 last year, you get a $1,500 credit. The yeah. government kicks in another 1500 If you earned 3000 you get 3000 If you earn 10000 you only get 3000 Because yeah. remember, 3000 is the cap. That's the cap. That's the top. And once you get over a certain level of income, um, then it goes away and you start losing the credit. Yeah. And so if you think about this graphically, and I have this on uh, peoplespolicyproject.org if you uh, want to go to the website, it, it, the benefit phases in. Okay. So, so, so unpack that a bit. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you make $0, you don't get any benefit. If you make one dollar, you get one dollar benefit. But if, if I need a, but if I, if I make zero dollars, I need the benefit more than anyone. Yes, this is the problem. This is really the key problem. But as you can see, zero dollars, you don't get anything. Ten dollars, you get ten. Hundred dollars, you get a hundred, etc., etc. Right, all the way yeah. up until you hit the cap. So there's a a phase in. Yeah. Uh, some people call it a ramp. Yeah. Um, I guess. And then it plateaus for a while. You've hit the max and you're just kind of sitting on the max and then it phases out. So there's kind of an off ramp at yeah. the end. And so if you kind of do it, we, uh, that's a trapezoid shape. Yeah. It goes up in a, in a ramp shape, then it goes flat, and then it goes down in a ramp shape. So it's a trapezoid. That is, that's, that's a good call. It is a trapezoid. So I call them trapezoid programs. Oh, all right. Because okay. the lift is certainly not the first trapezoid program. We have on the books right now two other trapezoid programs, big ones. There are some others that are arguably trapezoids, but these are the big dogs. Um, and that is the child tax credit. Yep. It's the same situation. If you graph it, yep. if you make $0, you don't get any child tax credit. Yeah. Which seems weird because, I don't know, if you're making $0, maybe you need more money to help with your kids who are going to starve to death. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's not how it's set up. You have to make a certain amount of money and then you, you know, you get benefits and then you hit this cap and so on. And then you have the earned income tax credit, which again is the same thing. The more money you make, the more benefit you get until you reach this little plateau yeah. and then it goes down. Right. Um, and the nature of, of these trapezoids is, like you said, if you don't make any money, you don't get any benefit. So the less money you make, the less of a benefit you're getting. Exactly. Uh, for, for, for the phase in. Right. Up to a point, right? Um, the basic way to think about it is, at first, the more money you make, the more money you get in benefits, yeah. which is backwards, kind of. Which is right? backwards, yeah. <laughs> you think about yeah, it. <laughs> and, and also, I mean, um, even the fact that if you're making a little bit more, you start to lose the benefit is often a, is often a cause of hustling backwards. Well, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Once you get on the other no. side of the plateau... Right. So so if you start from the beginning, the more money you make, the more money you get from the benefit. Yeah. Then you hit this plateau where the more money you make, it doesn't affect your benefit. Yeah. And then you get on the downside of the ramp. Yeah. And then the more money you make, the less benefit you get. So you've, you've um, had this you know level of income. Then you nudge just over the top and start making a little bit more and you possibly lose more than you've gained in your race. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, in, in, in none of these programs do you do you does the what they call effective marginal tax rate exceed a hundred percent. Um, but maybe in concert with other benefits, you know, it gets very complicated. Right, 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 like right. Exactly. What if you hit the Medicaid cutoff 
at the same point at which you're on the downswing of one of these programs, yeah. then what does that look like? And that it it, it actually causes a huge amount of trouble and oh. stress for quite a few poor families. This is a documented uh, Yeah, they call benefit traps. Um, awful, awful shit, awful shit. But so the but then the phase in is also terrible <laughs> because the less you're making, the less. Right, right. And I wrote a piece where I mean, one obviously I said this is not a good idea. What are we doing here? Um, uh, but so, so what is the idea of the phase in is that you're going to motivate these people? Yes, yes. And so the origin of of these programs it it coincides with our our good friend welfare reform. Oh God, that's we, true enemy arch nemesis. I see welfare reform everywhere in my life. Everything is welfare reform. It's like that the Kill Bill scene where you see something that's reminiscent of uh, welfare reform, and there's just a siren going off. It's in your just mind. all welfare Everything reform. Everything turns to me. red. It's all welfare reform. Job guarantee. I'm like points at Siegel. Reform. That's welfare reform. EITC. Democrats through tears. You can't just call everything welfare reform. I can welfare reform. Welfare reform. Welfare reform. <laughs> Everything is welfare reform. Yeah. So, but this really is a legacy of welfare reform. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, in the 1990s, Bill Clinton uh, decides to, uh, you know, end welfare as we know it. Um, and what happens is they basically cut off basic cash assistance to like really poor people. You know, people right. who are maybe earning nothing or maybe earning, a, you know, a thousand dollars or something. They just get completely cut off. Yeah. I mean... There's this new program called TANF that replaces the old AFDC, but TANF might as well not exist. It's a complete joke. It's almost impossible to get. It's nonsense. And so basically that's gone. And in its place, they put these trapezoid programs. Yeah. And the trapezoid programs deprives the poor. So they take the poor's benefits. And then they also create these new programs that's going to specifically deprive them. And... That becomes sort of like the new regime. So one way of putting it is they shift benefits from the very poor to the merely poor and the nearly poor. Yeah. Right? So there's a shift that occurs from basically the lowest rung of society to the people just above the lowest rung. Yeah. Um, and the result of this is deep poverty goes up. Of course, that's the result of it, right? I mean, anyone who just does the math on it is going to realize if is, you... This uh, is a measured result of, of welfare. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, I quote, I cite Robert Moffat in my piece, but there are, are, are a number of other studies that have found basically the same thing. Um, but it's tricky. It's, it's kind of a f- weird situation because when we think about poverty, we usually calculate it in terms of like, we just add up the number of people in poverty, Yeah. right? And the... The problem with that is if you do that, then these trapezoid programs can be shown to be very effective yeah. because they concentrate their benefits on people right around the poverty line. Yeah. So so if you give someone who's only $100 above below the poverty line, if you give them $100, you can pop them over the line. Right. Right. And then you're like, wow, I reduced poverty. Look at that. It only costs $100 too. Yeah. If you give $100 to someone who's way below the poverty line, it doesn't reduce poverty as measured right because they're still poor they're still under the poverty line and so that gets very very deceptive very very quickly because you're like yeah. look we reduce poverty because look more people are over the line than used to be and it's like yeah you took the people who are right below the line and you moved a lot of them over it and then you just completely dropped the really poor into the abyss yeah um and those people you know 
you didn't ever used to pull them all the way out of poverty, but you made their lives a lot better, yeah. right? Like if you go from, from you know, having $2,000 a year to uh, $12,000 a year, you might not be over the poverty line, but you now have $10,000 more to spend, right. which is a, a big it's improvement. A big improvement. Um, and so... But that just, it just muddies the discourse so much because then you have people who do these estimates and like, oh, it's just going to cut poverty a lot. It's going to cut poverty a lot. And it's like, yeah, you know, if you basically don't give money to the poorest people and only give it to those right around the poverty line, you're going to get a really nice, you know. Uh, a big bump, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's empty, right? The goal is not to game this measurement. The goal right. is to end material deprivation. Right, and, and so that's going to require well, looking at people who are way below the poverty line. Yes, you got to get it, money you know, to them. $2 a day, deep um, poverty. And, you know, conventionally, when people say, well, why did this happen? Why did we shift like this? There's a story um, that basically says, hey, you know, the 80s and 90s, very reactionary. You know, you got the neoliberal turn. People hate welfare. People, you know, there's a race, racial element to it and so on. And so, you know, if you kind of take that seriously, then it's like, well, people don't want to give to the undeserving poor who don't who don't even work or try welfare queens Um, single moms but the most hated people in society we do want to give money to people who are trying i mean like at least you go out and work even though you don't make any money doing it yeah then then we'll help you and so these programs you know they fit very neatly into that idea because they concentrate their benefits basically on low-wage workers who do put in a lot of hours but just don't make any money doing it yeah and they exclude the people who, you know, basically are not working or are working very, very little. Um, yeah. And so that fits very neatly. But then there's this other theory that's floated out there that's like, no, it's not anti-welfare. It's not racism. It's not that. It's just like basically in this period, because you have the neoliberal turn, people want to cut spending. They want to cut taxes. And the great thing about these tax credit trapezoids is they're not counted as spending. Yeah. They're counted as tax cuts. And so you get the best of both worlds, except, of course, the poor starve and die. Yeah, except um, for the poor who do, yeah. not, do not receive <laughs> the best of both worlds. Um, I uh, I got a plan for you. When you run, uh, you should call this the trapezoid trap. Yeah, it is definitely a trapezoid trap. Trapezoid trap. Miss the trap. On. Beat the trap. <laughs> Beat the trap. Escape from the trapezoid trap is what's going to be your slogan. And the interesting thing about it is she's not the only one. Like, this is actually still the the main thing Democrats turn to. So, or not not even just Democrats, but like generally, when it's like, what can we do a policy that's going to help you know, raise the incomes of the middle class or the lower middle right. class. Order. It's always trapezoids. Always trapezoids. So like yeah. Rubio and Lee's child tax second credit. child tax credit, because yeah. they were going to have two, they were just going to create a new one on yeah. top of the old one, is a trapezoid. Yeah. Uh, Hillary Clinton, during the last campaign, she proposed a child tax credit reform that just, again, trapezoid. Um, more recently, you have uh, Rokana and Sherrod Brown have an, Earned income tax credit reform, uh-huh. trapezoid. And then you have Kamala Harris, trapezoid. They're all just trapezoids. Yeah. It's all the same policy that are all getting different words. And it's all just like, what if we just did another trapezoid? Fall into um, the trap. 
And it's funny. One, one of the things that's funny about it is, to me, is it's like all these people, like they, they put their own names on it and yeah. so on. Like oh, yeah. It's all positioned as like, here's a new policy idea. And it's like, no, everyone literally has the same policy idea, yeah. which is let's do another trapezoid. But you, you know, I mean, the details are a little bit different, but it's like, it's the basic same. Yeah, exactly. It's like the debate is so constrained that all welfare state expansion debate right now is which trapezoid do you want to go for? Um, we do a slightly steeper trapezoid. Let's do Yeah. Uh-huh. Let, let's make the trapezoid instead of matching 100%. What if, what if it matched 105%? Woo! <laughs> but there is one alternative. What's that? What's that, Matt? And how do we escape the trap? Michael Bennett and Sherrod Brown have a child allowance proposal oh where every uh you know for every child you have under the age of five you'll get thirty six hundred dollars a year and for every kid over the age of five you'll get three thousand um and there's no phasing no phasing it's a universal program it's not a trapezoid theirs does phase out not not i'm not fond of that but it doesn't phase in. The phase that, out is better than the phase The phase in, out is arguably. like, okay, I wish you didn't do this because if you didn't phase out, we'd have a broader constituency and there's some other, you know, horizontal symmetry reasons for why you don't want to do that. But yeah. whatever. The big thing is don't phase it in because yes. if you phase it in, you're going to starve poor people. Why would yeah. you do that? And yeah. they don't phase it in. And they're, they're the only people in the game right now who have, a, you know, a welfare state expansion program that doesn't phase in. Uh, which shows it's possible. Kudos to you guys. Bennett and Brown. Bennett, you know, these are mainstream senators. Is this Triple P um, endorsed? I I, yeah, I mean, I have endorsed the general idea of a child allowance. Like I said, I don't like the phase out. There's some administrative things. Yeah. But like the distributive design yeah. where there's no phase in, it's yeah. not a trapezoid. That is a watershed in democratic yeah. thinking uh, back to, you know, the pre-1980s um that is obviously the path that needs to go forward um so brown brunig 2024 uh get ready for it prepare yourselves it's happening and it's gonna be uh escape the trap yeah well brown and brew i have an idea that integrates the child allowance and i may write about this soon um a, a, a program that i think would be genius for a candidate to pick up and maybe a candidate will because there's going to be 30 of them yeah and i'm going to try to float this and see if, if i can get someone on board yeah i call it the family fun pack i and love that i think it's great but other people are like <laughs> no that's terrible you can't call it the family fun pack i really like it um because that's what they used to call <laughs> that's what they used to call like when i used to work at the texas rangers stadium like four tickets, four sodas, and four hot dogs. Like they would sell a bundle and you could pay like a hundred (laughs) dollars for it. And it was called the family fun pack. (laughs) And I was like, this is great. Right. And so my family, (laughs) (laughs) my family fun pack, you have the child allowance where you get paid 3,600 a year, 300 a month for every child you have. But you also get paid leave for the children you have. You also get a maternity grant, which yep. is, you know, basically a few hundred dollars whenever you're about to give birth. Um, Love it. Sometimes uh, implement in the form of a baby box. Um, Excellent. You get everybody f- loves subscription boxes. You get, I know Finland so, was yeah. uh, Finland was been Finland doing was baby boxes for like a hundred years and they everyone just loves them. Super ahead of the um, curve. I went to their national museum while I was there and they had a baby box in it from like the 70s. Oh. Um, and uh okay so you got you got maternity grant uh-huh. paid leave uh the child child, ch- 
child allowance, child care. Uh-huh. We already have free education for K through 12. Yeah. How about free school lunch while they're at school? Yeah. We already do that for a lot of kids anyways. No reason we can't do that. And how about free health care for kids? There we go. I mean, we should have we should have free health care for everyone, but, but at least kids. You know what is, what's going to be great about you proposing the family fund pack is, is like politicians like Cruz being like, this uh, won't be fun for my family. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get taxed. <laughs> if you think paying taxes is fun. Uh, uh, my family will not have fun with this pack. But it's like That's that really would funny. make that would make family life so much easier yes, because it would. I mean yes, think about would. all the money you would save. You're no longer having to pay a premium for your kid's child care. Yeah. That's a lot right there. That's like thousands of dollars a year right there. Plus you're getting cash of three thirty six hundred a year. Yeah. Plus you you know, you don't have to pay for lunch anymore. Yeah. Plus you're basically not paying for childcare. You might have a nominal fee. I think in some countries they'll make you pay like, you know, up to three hundred dollars a month or something if you if you make a lot of money. But for, you know, depend on how you structure it. But it's like there you go. You there don't you have go. to pay childcare, you don't have to pay health care, you don't have to pay school lunch, you're getting paid lead and you're getting paid a few hundred dollars a month. The family fun pack, and I should know that's, you know, basically uh, my version of the package you get in the Nordic countries. So it's not yeah. a crazy idea. Beat the trap with the pack. There you go. Family fun pack. Family fun pack. I mean, no one, no one, when people run, they, I don't know, they, they go for too much. I feel like, like, I don't know. It's like movie inspiration, like family fun pack. Yeah, it's a little lighthearted, but like, that's fun. Like, why? you know, someone's got to yeah. try that strategy. We I need feel to like. hybridize shit posting with politics. Yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. I mean, I really do. I think it would, I think it would stand <laughs> out to people to be like, family fun pack. What is going on? Like, this, this is funny. Ass. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, honestly, it, to loop back to the top of the show, uh, the first person to hybridize shit posting with politics was arguably Trump. That's true. <laughs> so, uh, so obviously there's a constituency for shit post politics, uh, and uh, and a family fun pack is a very very good idea. Like you said, it's already oh, operational yeah. in a lot of countries that oh, yeah. have great outcomes with uh, programs like that. Uh, one last you basically, I mean, child poverty is going to go down by, jeez. Yeah, I mean, astronomically. 60, 70% would not be an unreasonable. I mean, depending on how you measure it. Yeah. Um, I mean, just a crazy decline in child poverty. for kids and moms. Um, uh, what do you think about me already getting my Christmas decoration uh, game together here? Oh, it's fine. I you, don't care yeah, one way Matt or another. Yeah, Matt doesn't give a shit. Matt's all about the fun. As long as it's not in my way. Yeah, which it's not yet, but it's going to be. It's going to be. By the time I've done, it's going to be impossible well, to, now, to now, move about this place without getting glitter on your body. Now we have that, that cage in the basement of our building where we can store things. That's right. The, the thing I didn't, I didn't used to like about Christmas decorations as such is because it's seasonal, you have to store them. But like there's not a lot of room in, a, in our you know, dwelling. Because that thing is actually pretty spacious down there. Oh, it could fit everything you've gotten so far and a lot more. So yeah, and just there's going to be a lot more. I'm so well, sorry to tell you. You know, just make sure it fits in the cage and we'll be fine. It'll fit in the cage. It'll fit in the damn house. We're going to have wreaths. We're going to have garland. We're going to have lights. Uh, that curtain rod up there that you wouldn't let me hang plants from, you're damn right that's going to have garland. Uh, there's going to be big bows. There's going to be a wreath on the door. There's going to be wreaths on every available surface. Uh, and there's going to be trees. There's going to be multiple trees. There's going to be vignettes. There's going to be a neutral... Uh, color goldish and silver uh, Christmas zone then there's going to be uh, a more uh, nostalgic red green and gold uh, and white Christmas zone 
Uh, there's going to be glitter all over it. The, the kid's going to be covered in no, glitter. No, see, that that's the thing you do need to be careful with with Jane. You know, just make sure it's kid-friendly. She's going to be a glitter bomb, and no. uh, she's going to just be trailing it. sick if she eats all that stuff. She's not going to eat, like, um, a metric you know, pound of glitter. You know, just be careful. Uh, and I did buy her a Christmas ornament to appease her so she wouldn't pull the Christmas ornaments off the trees. I gave her a cupcake-shaped one made of felt with some sequins, and that's like a sacrificial Christmas ornament for her. Uh, and I hope that she accepts my sacrifice and doesn't rip all the other ones off that I'm, you know, probably going to be disappointed on that front. I do think that it makes sense, you know. I mean, uh, people complain about, oh, well, Christmas, uh, you know, you shouldn't decorate for Christmas too early or whatever, right? The problem I have with this is like, you know, you think about it, you want to try to get maximum, you know, use out of your Christmas. It's just as straightforward getting your money's worth, Yes, folks. if you can only have it for three weeks, then... Ver that versus 12 weeks that's a no, fourth exactly. of the utility for the same exactly. price I, this is I don't what makes it. this marriage work this is what makes the marriage work is that your interest in getting the maximum utility out of the items that we've exchanged currency for is uh, it perfectly melds with my interest in starting christmas october 3rd yeah if you underuse something you that is waste precisely thank you thank you Every day that this house is not decorated for Christmas is a lost opportunity. Well, if, it's know. a waste of money. It's a waste of, of, uh, of happiness. We could have extra happiness points. Well, there is a question of it, you know. No, there's not. There a is still a trade-off between no. the purchase of the thing and just not purchasing at all. No, but once bullshit. you have purchased it, you got to use so it. it's too late. You got to use it. So. Yes. So uh, we're going to have guests on the cast. That's upcoming. We're going to have some special guests. Yes. Please, uh, you know, subscribe on Patreon.com. Patreon. We'll uh, have some very surprising guests. You won't believe you won't uh, what believe. we've accomplished. You won't even believe through, it. Through uh, electronic mail. Uh, through the email, the DMs, the back channels, the handshakes, the smoky rooms. We're going to have some guests. And uh, and I'm going to keep decorating for Christmas. We'll keep you uh, updated with the progress. It'll be like the, you know, a uh, journal of a dying man in a Nubola hot zone when Matt's finally just constantly covered in glitter and running into wreaths that are hanging from door frames and absolutely miserable. Well, there's a lot of room, you know, where the dying plants are. So I think there's we have just, a lot of okay. space. There's one plant that Jane has tortured uh -huh. to death. Uh, which I, I don't want to talk about because it's very traumatic for me personally. Um, but she did torture my piece. In any event. Um, she did. She did that. The hundreds of dollars of plants that are dying in the house. It's one plant. Are open up a lot of room for decorations. It's one plant. And guess um, what? Guess what? And, and most of the decorations are plant-like Guess that what? Sense. I'm going to put ornaments on the plants that are doing absolutely great. If you can see the Diffenbachia. Is There's one plant that's that's not dying. Well, I no, guess what two. Do you mean? This, these two Chinese evergreens and this pothos mm. is not dying. The Chinese evergreens are on there are, are struggling. No, they're not struggling. There's less sunlight, so of course they're going to respond okay, to that. Well, nonetheless, but I'm not saying not, it's your fault. They're, <laughs> they're not, dying anyway. They're not dying. They're not dying. The plants they're going to change a little bit in the fall and winter. That's natural, but they're not dying. They're watering. They're flourishing, and they're going to come back with with roaring vigor in the spring yeah, and I summer. I hope so. I hope no, so. No, look, and the Diefenbachia is absolutely. Yes, that one is fine. I mean, but then there are lots that are not so fine. Unfair. The aloe vera is fine. I'm looking at him yes, right now. Yes, that one is fine. One spiky boy. The pothos is doing great. But half the plants are dying. No, that's completely... No, there's, there's more to this story. I'm going to file some... Well, we'll no. have to put a picture on the Patreon. Yeah, I would do that. Okay. It's one plant that Jane <laughs> has completely tortured. 
Okay, I'll put that as the cover art for the. No, episode. I don't think that's fair at all. I don't think that's fair at all. Okay. I don't think that's fair at all, and it's not plant negligence, by the way. It's that the kid I never has said harassed. It was plant negligence. No, you're suggesting it's plant negligence. I mean, but it, it is plant negligence. It's not plant negligence. It's Jane. You know, uh-huh. so she puts me in this Sophie's Choice position uh-huh. where she's like, "Who are you gonna pick, me or this plant?" Well, and I'm like, "Yeah, I, I wish guess we, you know." I guess unfortunately, we didn't. We bought them before we knew we had a child. You're going to do that? That's how you're going to do this? All right. Okay. Well, we're going to have to settle this off the cast. Yeah. We're, um, we're already over an hour, so. So, guess stay we tuned. Plug out. Stay tuned. Have a good one. Talk soon. Love that, you guys. That's the way it is. That's how it be.